I mean, I brought some stuff, but I thought maybe if you could, if you wanted to ask some questions, kind of get us on a, a roll, maybe some questions that you might have. I don't know if you want to uh, check out what we are and what we've done in the past. Um, we were playing the, that duet there. I remember when we were in college, I think I fell in love with her piano playing first. <laughs> the first time, yeah. First time, I remember the first day I met her, but she was dating somebody else at the time. In fact, she was, yeah. <laughs> but how the Lord puts people together, and you all have wonderful stories as well. Um, and I, I used to, I used to go up to her and, and say, um, she was a very good friend, and we were in a lot of uh, programs together at Bob Jones. I'd ask her, what did you do there? Show me what you did. And she would show me, and I would use it and learn, and then I'd ask her again, what did you do there? And she had no idea theoretically what she was doing, and I was, had more of a theoretical mind, so I was kind of figuring it out theoretically, never knowing that, um, that we would be playing piano duets for the rest of our life. And, uh, and uh, she's got certain, she has a great harmonic skills, if you know any of your choir, you know what I mean. She has some very unique harmonies. And I like theory, I like the math of theory. I may not have the creative ability she has. And uh, so it's just really neat how we look back and see how the Lord has, has taken care of us. And we were both piano players and um, we traveled for the first um, 10 years of our time at the Wilds with an evangelist named Tom Farrell. I don't know if you've heard of that name at all. Some of you may be familiar. He's with the Lord now. He died early of some cancer. And we traveled with him. And um, I remember getting an ulcer traveling with him. <laughs> he, was very, he was a hard boss, but he... I loved him because he, he was always learning, always growing. And when you're always learning and always growing, you can get away with murder, so to speak. But he, um, he would make me do things. And he said, okay, I, I need you to sing a solo next week. And I had never sung. And I was in my 30s at this time. So he made me sing a solo. So we started singing a solo. Well, I need you to, to uh, arrange this music. And then I need you to do this and that. So we, when you... I really shouldn't be leading a choir. I need to be playing it. Of course, the last song you'll be leading and I'll be where I belong. But it's interesting how the Lord um, has multiplied what we do. I was only content to really be behind a piece of wood. And, uh, and uh, when we were at the wilds, every, everything that I ever dreamed about doing, I had an opportunity to do. Now that I'm older, um, he, now he's making all the nightmares true. And so, uh, so I'm doing one of the nightmares is that I've had to do a lot more speaking lately. And I'd just be very content if you were up here speaking than, than I. But uh, it's really interesting how the Lord just pushes us and makes us be sure that we are uh, depending on him. And I'm so thankful. We're 70 and 71 or I'm 70 and she's 38. <laughs> but, uh, and here we are at the end of our life. We enjoy being old and the Lord has opened up some doors for us. We have a, we're in charge of uh, the music at our church, but we're also tar in charge of our, 
our older folks, and we decided to call them teenagers with wrinkles. And they are, they're really like teenagers now that they're kind of free. They're, um, they're going back to their teenage years, but we're very, very thankful for them where the Lord has us right now. We loved our 35 years at the Wilds very, very much. And so I thought maybe I'd share things. If you don't have any questions, I'd share some things that, that I would like to see our people do. And I know that uh, here you are, whether you realize it or not, being a choir member, some of you are instrumentalists and you're in smaller groups, you do have some leadership responsibilities. And um, I'm begging our folks, and especially our folks that are involved in the music ministry and others as well, if I can get them all just to, to read their Bibles. Um, a lot of them don't, and a lot of them we've really been trying to encourage. Some of them we're discipling them along the way. Um, and with us as being choir, it's very, very important since our public worship is really going to be a, a reflection of our private worship and to prepare, not only prepare musically with all the rehearsals and practicing and so forth, but and that's crucial, but uh, to prepare our hearts. We used to live in a culture where everything shut down on Saturday night and everybody got ready for worship on Sunday morning. And, um, and uh, the, the crucial need we have to, to make sure that we're prepared in our hearts, not only prepared with all these rehearsals, and I'm sure he hits you over the head for a lot of things. And, um, and I know you need to be thankful for, for him and his leadership as well as pastors. Um, but the kind of music that, God's like, that God likes is the kind of light of music that is offered out of a life of worship and the importance for you to, to be a growing Christian in the word and worshiping individually, worshiping with your family. Um, a lot of people complain that churches are dead, especially churches that may be conservative in nature that are dead and uh and churches that are dead is usually is the problem there's nothing happening between monday and saturday and we with you as a choir and the responsibilities that you have to make sure that that's what what is happening at home is something that'll what happens here is an outgrowth of what's happening at home and in your own hearts um uh God has never meant the music we make to be disassociated from the life that we live. And, um, you know, there's a passage in Amos that I would pray that would never be uh, true to us. But he, the Lord says in Amos chapter 5, he says, I hate, I despise your feast days. I will not smell in your solemn assemblies. Though you offer me burnt offerings and meat offerings, I will not accept them. Neither will I regard the peace offerings of your fat beasts. Take thou away from me the noise of thy songs, for I will not hear the melody of thy vials. See, knowing what's in our heart, we cannot be effective up there if what we're doing in our, in, is not true. Um, 
in, in our heart. We can be more like the Israelites than we can think. You know, we can try to substitute practice and gifting for humility and godliness. A great piano solo or a great piano duet doesn't impress God if I have a sin issue in my heart that I won't get right. My moving vocal performance sounds like fingernails on a chalkboard to God if my life is not characterized by a self-centered pursuit of pleasure and entertainment. Our great arrangements are repulsive to God if we struggle with envy anytime someone else is encouraged or recognized. And the importance of unity, especially as a choir, and the importance of unity being right with one another is so crucial. It doesn't mean we're perfect. It only means we don't use the pursuit of great music as an excuse to live however we want. We might have great music in our church, but if our heart is not where it should be, um, that's not what our pursuit should be. We are not just musicians who happen to be Christians. We are Christians who happen to be musicians. And the fact that, that um, again, our heart is, is the most important thing. I know that um, when, I, when I feel like our choir is unified, and there's uh, music is a great area for disunity, and how we have to work real hard, you know, and, and rejoice when somebody else is uh, promoted to be able to, to minister in a certain way. We have in our hearts an opportunity to just not think well of that person because of our own sin. And God likes music that is offered to serve others. And we, again, have this huge responsibility of uh, ministering to our, our congregation. Um, we have a tendency to think the choir is an entity in itself, but the Lord wants to use the choir in a sweet way as a ministry and we'll learn some of that things some of those things in the morning service non-musician excuse me non-christian musicians make music ultimately to serve themselves but we're different they might sincerely want to use their gifts to make others feel good and bring them joy but ultimately it's so that they'll look better they've got money to make this is their job we make music to make jesus christ look big we do that by serving others with our music. We do that in a number of ways, you know, by, you know, is our music too loud or is it too soft? Is the message really being heard? You can sound beautiful up there, but if they have no idea what you're saying, then we are worthless. Um, don't assume that being on the platform means playing, you're serving, there's a big difference. Uh, stay within your time limit. You know, if you're a pianist, we encourage you to, to sing or to, if you're doing a solo or playing, to play not at your peak level. Play, play down so you have the opportunity to be thinking about ministering rather than trying to be sure that we're getting the right notes and so forth. If you're accompanying a vocalist, consider their needs. Singers depend on their ears to sing in tune. Remember, it's not about you. It's all about their ministry. If you're accompanying a congregation, are you playing to draw attention to yourself, introductions, and which is something we all have to work in and, and deal with in our own hearts? Um, 
Be glad when others have the opportunity to play or sing. Be willing to step aside if someone more gifted comes along. God likes music that is offered in response to the gospel. Let this word, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, singing and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever, whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. The gospel says that God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die in our place, to endure the punishment we deserved and to pay the debt we owed. What is the music offered in response to the gospel? And music, it's music filled with gratefulness. You know, are we thinking about what the Lord has done when we're up there singing and ministering? Because our greatest need has been met, our greatest problem has been solved. It's fine to identify with struggles, challenges, trials. It's fine to be authentic, genuine, and real. But let it be clear, we do not have all the answers, but we, the one with all the answers, more importantly, he knows us. Our lives have been transformed but hope, from hopeless to hope-filled, from death to life, from hell to heaven. Our music needs to be marked by humility. <clears throat> all that we could accomplish and achieve, all our works and deeds, all our wisdom and knowledge resulted in Jesus Christ being crucified in our place for our sins, receiving our punishment, enduring God's wrath against us so that we could be justified in God's eyes and forgiven. In God's eyes, the greatest musicians aren't the ones with the most developed technique, best timing, and the most creative masterpieces. They are the ones who recognize that apart from Jesus Christ, they can do nothing of eternal significance. It's really interesting, you know, when we were in school, and BJ is a great place, Bob Jones University is where we met and uh, got our philosophy of music, and I got saved there my freshman year. Um, to, to look at the ones that really were gifted in music actually aren't some of them aren't even in music some of them are using music for personal um, gratification personal promotion and sometimes when we look back on the kids that were involved in music it's the guys that were really simple maybe not are hugely talented but faithful and those are the ones that god seems to use music that seeks to make much of jesus christ God likes the word of Christ in the name of the Lord Jesus through him making much of Jesus Christ with the music doesn't mean simply writing and singing songs with the name of Jesus in them it means and as a choir we can do this very very same thing offering every note every praise every chorus every song with a prayer that Jesus Christ would receive glory in and through you in the end, there will be only two kinds of people, those who endlessly proclaim the glory of the lamb that was slain and those who proclaim their own glory somewhere else. We have the opportunity here now to make much of Jesus Christ, not, with, not only with our music, but with our lives as well. <clears throat> Your lives, as you live in other parts of the church too, are gonna be a ministry that will affect what happens up here. 
<clears throat> who knows what would happen if you determined by God's grace only to make music that pleased God, that reflected a desire to please him in every area of our lives, that sought to serve others, that was a grateful and humble response to the gospel. And that would be our prayer and our need as a choir and those of us that are involved with music. So much of, of as we've traveled from churches to churches and as we were involved in music at, at the Wilds, it is really a ground for a personal check for selfishness and self-glory and pride as well as we need to constantly be checking our own hearts as a choir as well. Any comments or questions? Yes. How did you get drawn to Bob Jones University from what would you say, Massachusetts, uh, as an unsaved? Okay. Uh, it's an unusual um, story. I, I had gotten involved with a group of, of we were doing our version in the, in the 70s of rock music in my public school and I had gotten involved with some things. My dad was real concerned. My dad was a young Christian and, um, and I do remember when he got saved that uh, he was a growing Christian. His office was an, an upstairs part of our house and I would check and see if he was reading his Bible and you know that had a big impact on me. And seeing that I was getting involved, he, he found this place in Dublin, New Hampshire. I don't know if some of you know where Dublin Christian Academy is. Um, it was a boarding school at that time only, and it was a Christian boarding school. So I went up my junior year, and um, they didn't have demerits in those days, but they had horses, and so I, I shoveled a lot of manure my junior <laughs> year. And, um, but I, I, I marvel, I, I remember times, I don't know if it was my junior or senior year, but I remember after curfew, sneaking under my blankets and reading my Bible. So I was getting chapel every day. But I think the thing that really worked in my heart the most was that um, as I look back, the, the faculty and the people that were on staff there, they lived the gospel in front of me. And I knew that there was, I knew that they loved me and there was a lot of grace that came my direction as well. And um, I knew that they loved me and I had gotten in trouble my senior year. This is awful. This is not a good thing, I don't think. But anyway, my history teacher said, if you go to Bob Jones for one year, I won't say anything. So I went to Bob Jones for a year, and it ended up being eight. Um, I had never honestly read a book or anything. And, and, um, and so there was a senior guy there by the name of Mike saw that I had some real needs. His, he was Italian and he looked like a mafia guy. And he, the, I ended up on a team at the last minute for BJ playing the piano. The guy built, and so they, I played, I was a, a music major at the time. And he, that summer, I heard some of the same messages over and over again that was gospel oriented. And in August of that summer, I asked, talked to him and he led me to the Lord. And then when we went back to school, um, uh, he discipled me, which has to this day has been a huge impact that I was discipled. And there's a lot of, um, I think a lot of holes with people that really would want to be discipled, but there's just not 
either they're not wanting discipleship or there's just not anybody to do the discipleship. And so it was a great impact. He actually knew Beth um, earlier, but I remember after I got saved and came back my freshman year at Bob Jones, my friends all kind of left me because you can get into a bad crowd there too. And, uh, and uh, the Lord provided some really good friends largely influenced by this guy that discipled me. But when I wouldn't show up, he'd come up to my dorm room and just drag me out of bed. He was pretty tough, but I needed that. And then later, you know, I needed Tom Farrell's tough preaching as well. And, and Tom showed us both how to lead somebody to the Lord and, and uh, be able to have that opportunity. So that's how I ended up there. And I met Beth there, and um, I had never read a book because I cheated my ways. You guys remember what cliff notes were, any of you? And so I had trouble my sophomore year because I had to be honest in my schoolwork. So I, got, I ended up uh, graduating in five years. And then in order for me to get my master's, I had to go post-grad special, which is a, just post-grad work to help pull you up your GPA. And then I was able to get in and get my master's program in music. So. And it was all piano. And I never wanted to sing a note or teach or anything like that. So that's how I ended up there. So, yes, sir. What do you and Beth do daily or weekly for training the music? To train ourselves or to train others? Well, training ourselves. I think we're just trying to, as we age, keep up. <laughs> um, I've got two two new arthritis things. Beth has had surgery on her hand. She's had a four, three surgeries on her, on her hand. So we're just, we, we practice, but I don't feel like we're right where we used to be. So we're practicing to just kind of keep up a little bit. Um, she teaches piano. They call it Council 101 instead of piano lessons. <laughs> I hear her preaching in there pretty big. So. When you practice, are they like things that you're getting ready for a service, or is it another kind of classical music? We don't, you know, we don't practice classical music like we should. Most of our stuff is, I don't know if you know, uh, it's called Chopin-esque. Most of our ideas are stolen from him. <laughs> And so he, we have a classical background, and that's a lot. That's where we get our ideas. And um, romantic music seems to carry the text of our Christian hymns well. And, uh, and so, but we uh, will practice. We never had two pianos until recently. So when we were at camp, we had to go down to camp. Or we'd have to, um, when we were here at our church now, we'd have to go up to church to practice. And then a lady gave her a, a nice kawaii piano. So we have two pianos in our living room. And that's all that's in the living room. <laughs> and when Pastor told us that this lady wanted to give us a piano, I said, Pastor, we don't have room for another piano. He said, you have room for another piano. And, so, and we've been so encouraged. Yeah. Because uh, I, I do all the accompanying for everything and, and then uh, I prepare myself for the Sunday services. Right. To make sure that I have 
She's really the music director. I just no. get up and wave my arms. You understand. Yeah. <laughs> And the only playing I do is with you, right? Mostly. So I, I don't play as much anymore except when I play with her. So, you had a question? Yes. Uh, did you always write and arrange, or did do you discover that uh, talent along the way somewhere? Um, I never wanted to do it. Tom Farrell was the one that made me start doing that. And if he didn't like something, and he was not a musician, he thought he knew everything about music, but he was not a musician. But God, I don't know where I'd be today if it weren't for him making me do things I didn't want to do. So those of you who have kids that are taking music, and my dad was the same way. My dad and mom, my dad was a trumpet major, my mother was a cello major, and I was the third youngest son. And when I came along, the other, my two brothers blew it for me. They said, you're taking piano and you ain't quitting. But I'm so thankful that, you know, I, don't, I would not have made that decision. I would have not made a decision. I knew enough at the wilds that I needed to sweetly embrace being submissive to Tom. And looking back, and I had, a, I had an opportunity before he died, I spent quite a bit of time just thanking him. He said, yeah, I remember that, brother. You're not too happy a lot of times. <laughs> and so. But when did, when did you actually start writing? I know when we got married, you had been arranging a lot and you had published, created meetings yeah. with Majesty. And Some of those early Majesty ones were early team things. And um, in graduate school, I had a composition class. I don't know if what songs are in your hymn book. Not Ave Christ is one that I did in grad school. So Tom knew I could do that stuff. And then Majesty graciously uh, put in their older hymn book three songs and they were, I think they bought them for $15 a piece, I think. And Faye Lopez yes. was a good friend of ours. She was really Matt's friend before she was my friend. And uh, they traveled together she was writing a lot for the team and right. for the wilds when the Wiles publications got going and all we did was make available stuff we were doing on our platform and the Lord multiplied that and to this day we pass the baton on to a young guy named Matt Taylor and to this day they're publishing beautiful music as well Thank you. anything else so you said when you all first started traveling after college both of y'all were piano players did y'all alternate, or I'm assuming you didn't bring a piano with you, and they only probably only had one there where you were going, or did they have two? We would ask 
to provide a second piano. Okay, so they would provide a second yeah. piano? Yeah. Sometimes, I remember one little church, she had to play our duets in a key a half step higher. <laughs> no, I couldn't do it, but she, it was a big old, you know, big old tall. <laughs> Yes, when I went to the wilds in 79, I was single. We didn't get married till 82, so Faye and I would play these duets. In 82, we got married. She joined the team, so there were three pianos, and they would alternate with the three, and then they needed Faye at the, back at the wilds with Steve. So they got off the road, and then we were put in charge of the team. And uh, wonderful years. We lived in a in a 28-foot motor home. You could throw a cat through it. The people in North Carolina said, I don't know what that means, you just throw a cat through it. But I remember we had a cat. <laughs> it wasn't very warm and we had a cat and our cats, what we, you know, we would sleep on the couch because the kids were in the one bedroom. But uh, we didn't know any better. And yeah, she had a little sign on the door that said cubicle, sweet cubicle. And it was, uh, it was, it was uh, what do you call that stitching stuff? Cross-stitched. And, uh, and our cat, whose name was Jane, I named her after my mother-in-law. Uh, our cat, her water was under the steering wheel. And her cat would freeze sometimes. And we'd look like gypsy, front water would freeze. Cats would freeze. And we would, sometimes we'd get black, black plastic to drape all over the motorhome. And we looked like a bunch of gypsies. So, but anyway, days that we would. And our boys learned how to walk in the motorhome. You know, our, and they, they loved, they never got car sick because that's, that's where they learned to walk. In the motorhome of all places. But. They are, as my father did. If I was a plumber, I would have made them know a little bit about plumbing. So we made them both. They could choose their second instrument. And we made them both take piano. And I really feel that they both could have majored. But they decided to be preachers instead. <laughs> and so I had to be OK with that. But uh, they, um, they were both fine pianists. Caleb learned to play the oboe. And then Christopher did a wonderful job with classical guitar. And do they play them now? No. But they use their music. Caleb is quite the singer. In fact, he writes me all the time. He wants music. He's, he's real cheap, and he wants me to send him free music all the time. So, <laughs> so I'm thankful they're in ministry. And, and, uh, and they have had, you know, they've had their, my oldest son is, he is such a picture of the Lord Jesus in his marriage. He, he's just amazing. He amazes me. It's very much a confrontation. And, and Caleb is the one that we had to spank 30 or 40 times a day. When he got saved, it went down to about 25 or so. <laughs> he was exhausting. And we were old parents because I think we were 36 when we had Caleb. So we were old to begin with. But so thankful that the Lord is um, using them and working in their hearts and so forth. Yes? I'm sure you're way past this stage, but um, what do you counsel people about those of us that have stage 
Yes. It can paralyze people. You know, you can practice all you want to, but when everyone's listening and it's called upon you to do well, that is the thing that can get a person's whole life. Well, you and I could be, um, probably give each other notes. I remember my wife, on my, was it my junior recital? Uh, you know, I just was shake. I shake now. Um, I shake when I have to speak because I thought I'd be in behind a piece of wood all my life. Um, but I think it is a, to make it a spiritual growing thing because fear, you know, there's, as we mentioned in the song, there's, uh, fear is not something that you can conquer. And I think if, if you're a mercy, you know what I mean by a gift of mercy, where you're, um, like you are more tender-hearted. It's good to be. What am I looking for? Can you help me out? Sensitive. Sensitive. You're a more sensitive person. Beth is a prophet. You know everything is black and white. She's a preacher. She's a good preacher. Um, but the pastor didn't want her preaching this weekend. <laughs> um, so, uh, and I think when we're a little more tender-hearted. All right, we have, may have the gift of mercy. We have a little bit more proneness to be, and that is a gift. It's a place where we have an opportunity to grow, to make it a spiritual issue. Lord, help me make a step in this area. Because um, it is the fact that the spotlight is on you, but as a Christian, to grow to where the spotlight is not really on you, you're merely an instrument in his hands. You're an instrument and your weakness and sometimes your very fear and growth in that area, you know, especially when you're in a local church setting, uh, when they see you grow and improve, that gives the God, gives God the glory as well. So you want to see yourself. And I think with some of your students, your goal would be that they just grow a little bit here and there. And it sometimes takes years. Go ahead. Rather than your teacher being your support, your Lord's using it to grow you in, in that area. Thank you. 
Anything, anything that humbles you is good. And I played, she was, she was off preaching somewhere and I had to play for myself a few weeks ago and I really botched it and I thought, well, this was good for me. I, I messed up the words of my own song that I wrote. And I was playing for myself. And she would agree, I have a hard time doing two things at once. And I'm not a good multitasker. But anyway, but uh, those are good. There are some, um, I know, um, what's her name? Warren Cook's wife. What's her name? Warren and Mrs. Cook. Warren and, um, Jean. And her teaching is more with the younger mm -hmm. kids. Well, when you're in leadership and you blow it, it's good how you respond. You teach mm -hmm. and how you respond. It's not about you and uh, you're teaching. Everybody knows when you blow it. Believe me, everybody knows. But again, yeah, our goal isn't to blow it. Anything else? What time do you want to quit, Pastor? Quit now? All right. All right. We'll see you tomorrow morning. Don't be late for choir. And think about preparing. You know what we're singing in the morning. Isaiah 43 is the passage where it is. Maybe you can spend time tonight or tomorrow morning. Read with your family. Um, ask the Lord uh, to prepare your heart personally for the responsibility we have in the morning. And then uh, we'll get under our slave master and go from there. Right. Go home. Don't drink Mountain Dew. It'll keep you awake. Thanks, everyone. Thank you, everyone. You're kind.